0: Hey, good morning. How are you today? There you go. I like it. I like it. Real quickly, will y'all join me in welcoming into our service Lake Hills Church downtown. Glad to have y'all with us. Yeah. At downtown, we know that y'all have been through it for the last couple of weeks with the ACL Fest going on and everything else like that. So we here on the West Campus salute you for the job that you're doing in downtown Austin. Thank y'all so much. That's awesome. Awesome. You know, in 1939, Adolf Hitler launched his military assault across Western Europe to, in his mind at least, win back so much of what he thought had been unfairly taken from Germany at the end of World War I. And as this Blitzkrieg, as this assault spread across Western Europe, nations began to fall, Poland, Belgium, Luxembourg, of course France, until all that remained in opposition to Adolf Hitler and Germany and the Third Reich was this little small island known as Great Britain. Great Britain was the only Western power resisting actively Adolf Hitler's advance. And Great Britain in 1939 was bracing for Hitler's coming inevitable attack against England. They knew that this assault would come across the channel. They knew that bombs would begin falling out of the sky at any moment. And it was against this backdrop that the Ministry of Information in England decided that the morale of the British people was every bit as important as their military preparations that were they were undergoing at the time. And so the British Ministry of Information decided to boost morale by wallpapering public gathering places throughout England, especially in London. They put these posters up in tube stations, bus depots, gathering spots. And the common theme of these posters was something that could have only come from the british mind i mean what else would you want your government to tell you when you're facing possible annihilation inevitable attack but keep calm and carry on that was the message from the british people Stick so take a look these were the posters that went up all over london and england in expectation to kind of buck up the english spirit to keep that stiff upper lip do you love the british people i mean keep calm and carry on. Cheerio. Would you like some tea? I mean, it's just a funny, funny thing. But I think the picture of 1939 England and the message of keep calm and, and carry on is one that resonates with you and me because I believe with every single thing that I have in the 21st century, our families are facing every bit as inevitable an assault as Great Britain did in 1939. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about an assault culturally by the media or politics or business or the economy, although to be sure, a lot of those things are not particularly helping our families. The fact of the matter is, the attack against our families is much more of an inside job because our families... Let let me say this. My family, on a regular basis, faces the blitzkrieg strike of stress and anxiety, chaos and confusion. I want to just see something real quickly. How many of you all in the last two weeks have felt stressed or confused or chaotic? Let me just see a show of hands. Think about that for just a second. That's all of us. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Everybody has family. Everybody has family. Tell your neighbor, everybody's got family. Now, how many of you have a family member who is not in this room? Who's crazy? Can I just see a show of hands? It's everybody. I mean, people act like, man, if people knew about my family, if people knew about your family. They would say, welcome to the family. I mean, we, we all have, a li- every single one of us individually has a little bit of crazy in us. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you guys are crazy. crazy. Now you can say that with love, but it's true. And I believe that the message for every single one of us this day is to keep calm and family on. To keep calm and family on. Because the fact of the matter is, it is the family that God has set up as the first line of defense against stress and anxiety, chaos and confusion. It is the family within which God wants to prepare and equip every single one of us to handle the stress of everyday life. Now, I have to tell you something. Behind the scenes, I almost didn't preach this sermon series. There was a part of me that kind of like, I don't know about doing a series just on family because you may disqualify yourself if you're a a single adult or maybe you're a downtown condo dweller and your family lives in another part of the world and, and you think, well, this isn't really for me. Let me just assure you that what God is about to do in and through this series is universal. This is a possibility of what he wants to see happen in your life, in your family, through you. And I know that because of what God says in the Bible. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it is possible, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace peace with everyone. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And if you've been around our church for any amount of time at all, you might have heard me say before that you will never ever drift into peace. You you never just kind of wake up one morning and go, whew, I feel so peaceful. This is wonderful. You have to make peace. I have to make peace. Peace. We have to make choices and decisions that contribute, that build peace in our lives and especially in our families. And so in the time that we have left this morning, I want to kind of just begin this conversation. Because I think one of the things that I have noticed in our lives as a family, in the Richard household, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt... That there has been one single thing that has contributed more to the peace of our home than anything. And that is our vision as a family. The fact that we have a vision for what God wants to do in our family. The fact that God has given us this vision is what we come back to when we feel stressed, when we feel anxious, when we feel chaotic, when we feel like our calendar is too cluttered. And it's this gift of a vision Here's the problem. A lot of times we live our whole lives reactively. A lot of times we just kind of are going along to get along and we may be in high school or after high school, college, out in the marketplace and one night, you know, you, you meet that special someone and the hormones start flying. It's like, whoa, I need to marry her now. Do you know her? No, but she's hot. So I need to marry her. And so we get married and then we start having children because God knows what causes that. And all of a sudden we end up with this life and we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. If you've got a Bible, look at Proverbs chapter 29. In Proverbs chapter 29, the Bible says something so evidently self-clear, but so rarely applied. And I'm going to read this out of the King James Version. We're going old school, back to the 17th century for this verse. The Bible says, where there is no vision... The people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Tell your neighbor right now, keepeth the law. Don't you feel a little more spiritual when you use the King James? You know, I had somebody in my, early in my ministry, I had a guy go into a 30-minute tirade. I, I'm talking about, and this is not a judgment call, this is just an observation, but this was a tirade about how the King James Bible is the only acceptable translation of Scripture. And I was, I was young, I was still in the seminary, I was like, I don't know, I've been using the New American Standard or the NIV, like, pay me up, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. Listen, the King James Version was a translation that God oversaw, that God protected the translation of, but it is not the definitive only translation. As a matter of fact, more modern translations would render this verse differently. They would say where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. So you can see where the connection is between a vision that God has given you or a revelation from God. When God reveals something to you and God has created you like he's created me with a purpose in this life. There's something he wants to accomplish in our homes and in our families. And it's incumbent upon every single one of us to contribute ...to that vision. I wonder this morning, how many of y'all are, let's say, under the age of 25? Let me just see a show of hands. If you're under 25 years old... Okay, listen. I know when I'm sitting in your shoes and I'm under 25, the natural tendency is to say, Man, I cannot believe a loving God would give me the parents He gave me. (laughs) Or, I cannot believe that I have to be stuck with these brothers and sisters... How many of y'all have ever wondered that? You don't have to be under 25 to remember that thought or sentiment. I don't remember that. I was like, man, my brother, one of my brothers in particular, I won't mention him, but one of my brothers, I have two twin brothers that are two and a half years younger, and one of them was just kind of easy going, go along, to get along, everything was cool, he didn't bug me, I didn't bug him, but the other one, Pat, knew exactly, <laughs> I mean, exactly what buttons to push. I mean, he just, and as the older brother, man, I, I just, I reacted every single time. And I was like, Mom, he is driving me crazy. And my mom would go, Mac, he's getting a reaction from you. And I said, I know. The next reaction is going to be, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> but I want to make sure that you understand, students, those of you who are under the age of 25, you play a major role in the vision and purpose of your family. You have a significant Role to play, which means, by the way, you have a significant responsibility for how your household functions. It ain't all mom and dad. Y'all are older. How many of y'all are older, older than the age of five? Let me see a show of hands. Downtown, y'all as well. Okay, if you're over the age of five, your responsibility and your role is a lot bigger. Because once you get to, you know, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, 16 years old, all of a sudden, listen, I, I know. I was 17. It's amazing. When I was 17, a lot of people don't know this. When I was 17, I was omniscient. That means all-knowing. I knew everything when I was 17. And my mom and dad were idiots. I mean, I just looked at them. and I was like, how do they get out of bed in the morning? They're so old. I don't even know how they tie their shoes. And, and, and I don't... To, to my mind, my, I was like, they, "How do they feed themselves? They just—they just, they don't even understand how the world operates." Fortunately, God had given me to them to help them get through this period of life. <laughs> but a funny thing happened. I turned thirty, and I don't think for one second that my mom or my dad knew everything. I don't think they were perfect. I know they made mistakes, just like I make mistakes as a parent. But what I learned was, at least my mom and dad, for the most part, were doing the absolute best that they could with what they had to work with. Now, not always. They made mistakes, some bigger than others. But I wish somebody had told me when I was 14, you have a major role to play in your family. You have a major responsibility. I want to make sure that you understand this series is for you as well. You have a huge, huge opportunity in front of you to contribute to your family's being able to keep calm and family on. But you've got to have a vision. You've got to have an idea of why you exist as a family, as a, as a household. What, what is it that God wants to get done through you as a family? And what he's going to do through the Richard household is going to be different than it is in the Smith household, than it is in the Martin household, than it is in any other, because he's brought together different people. In some of our houses, he's brought together really different people. But this thing called family is a gift. It is a gift from God, which means it's a gift to be cherished. It's a gift to be treasured. And so what I want to do this morning is help you Write your family vision statement. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that that doesn't sound very deep. That's not very spiritual. Are you kidding me? I want you to, to keep in mind when God instituted the family. When did that happen? Before there was ever a business, before there was ever a government, before there was ever a school, before there was ever a hospital, before there was ever a nonprofit soup kitchen, God ordained the family. That's how God set this thing up to work best. And so it's incumbent upon those of us who are in families, and as we've already established, we all are, to develop a vision of what God wants to do in and through our families. When we talk about a vision... I want to ask you, take take your programs out, and I want you to write some stuff down this morning because this is something that I hope and pray and have been praying. God uses to spur conversation, to get families talking amongst each other. When we talk about a vision, this is what a vision really is. A vision, biblically, is a God-given perspective and purpose. A God-given perspective and purpose. A purpose. That's a vision. What what is it that God's laid on your heart? What do you want to see happen out of your household? Out of your family? Now, in our household, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be able to share with you some massive mistakes that I've made as a dad. So I know you'll want to come back for that. But I've also been able to see God do some incredible things in spite of and through some of my mistakes. Some of our mistakes as a household. One of the things that I didn't know to ask for, one of the blessings that I didn't know to ask God for or to be working toward came after our daughter Emily left for college. We had gone to visit her parents weekend at college. Jew and I took off, left town, showed up, And we got to where Emily is in college in South Carolina, and we were just kind of hanging out. She was out of class, and I'm sure she would already spent a lot of time at the library before we got there so she could be ahead of her studies. And we were walking around town just hanging out. We were eating, hanging out, doing a little shopping. And we were sitting in a restaurant having a cup of coffee one afternoon. And I looked across the table at this this person that I remember bringing home from the hospital. I mean, I, I could tell you, I remember... I remember the day, I remember the minute that I put her in the car seat and asked Julie, how do you work this thing? And as I looked across the table at Emily, I, it just hit me. I really like her. I like my kid. Now some of you are going, man, did you not before? Now, I'm not saying that. But I mean, like, as a, as a real, more or less grown-up, She's 19 years old. She can vote. She can go to war. Heaven help the enemy that she fights. (laughs) But I just remember thinking, I would love, I like just hanging out with her. I thought, man, if I'd have known the day that we brought her home from the hospital, that that could be a goal, that that could be something we could pray toward and work toward, that that would be part of our vision, that we would like our kids. That's a huge, huge thing. And that's a gift that God gave us, again, in spite of and through some of the mistakes that we made as parents, as husbands and wives. But I'm so fired up. Let me, let me just help you and go through this. Let's talk about working out the vision thing. Working out the vision thing. Because for a lot of people, vision sounds kind of soft and cuddly. I know especially, you know, some, some people are like, man, I don't know. I mean, I know my company had to go through this exercise and we went out to a hotel offsite and we did, you know, team building exercises. We fell back and somebody caught us and we had to come up with a vision statement. But understand that a vision statement in God's economy is your true north. A vision statement is, is what helps you decide yes or no. We will go here. We won't do that. We're not going to act like that or we will help each other this way. A vision is true north for your family. This is the filter through which you view everything. Every activity, every date, every action, every everything. And so it's important as you work out the vision thing. Number one, keep the main thing, the main thing. You need to write that down. Some of you think that's not profound enough. Yes, it is. And I'm going to explain it in just a second. But keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing in every family is marriage. Marriage. The husband and wife is the main thing in every family. I don't want to burst any bubbles, but it ain't the kids. The kids, yeah, you, somebody ought to clap and amen that. The kids are not the main thing. They're not. They think they are from the second they're born. They get here screaming, I'm the main thing, I'm the main thing, I'm the main thing. And our job as parents is to disavow them of that sinful Godless notion that they're the main thing. The marriage is the main thing. In God's economy, Hebrews thirteen four. check this out. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Marriage should be honored by all so you may not be married right now. You, you may be a student. You may be divorced. You may be a single adult hoping, praying, whatever, to get married one day, but you're not married right now. You still have the opportunity to honor marriage, to honor that which God has brought together. Let no man or woman put asunder. Keep the main thing the main thing. So kids, when, when you walk into the living room or the kitchen and your mom and dad are holding hands or kind of making cow eyes at each other or if you, if you see them kissing, you see, don't, don't, don't roll your eyes and go, oh, please, don't do that. I'm so, ah. You just need to remember, I'm going to play. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my part for the family. Mom and dad, Continue. That's just awesome. But you keep the main thing the main thing by remembering that that marriage is ordained by God. Here's here's the cool thing about a relationship with Christ and marriage. You don't have to wonder if God is for your marriage. I, I never have to pray, God, do you want Julie and me to stay married? You know He does. And He doesn't want you to just stay together for the kid's sake. He wants your marriage to thrive and to flourish. To overcome the hurts and the wounds that inevitably happen in every relationship. But you keep the main thing, the main thing. As I've said before, I've told our kids, Listen, you can do a lot of things wrong in this world, but you won't disrespect my wife. I know she's your mom, but she's my wife first. I chose her. You just showed up. And I love what Bill Cosby says. Bill Cosby says his dad used to tell him, I'll I'll take you out. It don't matter to me. I'll make another one look just like you. <laughs> the marriage is the main thing. Isn't that a great line? I love that. That is so f- true and funny. <laughs> now some of you are thinking, what if I'm divorced? Our, our our family blew up. Somebody hit the eject button. I know what that's like. And it is awful, and it is survivable, and it is usable. You need to remember those three things. God says in Malachi chapter two, "I hate divorce." He never says, "I hate divorcees." But he says, I hate divorce. Is there anybody in the world who who would say, I think divorce is awesome. I remember when we got got married, we could not wait to progress to the divorce. (laughs) Divorces don't happen overnight. Divorces happen because husbands and or wives make little choices all along the way that fail to keep the main thing the main thing. I remember when Julie and I were engaged and we were going through pre- premarital counseling the pastor who was performing the counseling as well as a lot of well-intentioned friends came alongside us and they said, now you got to understand something marriage is hard work. And I remember as a 24 year old with stars in my eyes and loving my heart, thinking this will be the most fun work I've ever done. Look at this. She's mine, And I can tell you 22 years later, it's the most fun work I've ever done. And it's the hardest work I've ever done. But as my bride would tell you about this and a lot of other things, that hard work is absolutely... Worth it. Sometimes you just got to throw the W. Everybody put up those three fingers real quick. Everybody, come on. Youngest to the oldest. If you got fingers, put them up right now. (laughs) Worth it. You throw that W. You keep the main thing. The main thing. Second part of working out this vision thing. Number two, do your thing. Do your thing. Tell you now. I've talked to a lot of students over the years who have tried to interpret that verse as to say, honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life. So if I don't honor them, they're going to kill me? No. But you understand that with parents. If you honor your parents. I remember being a 22-year-old student pastor. Julie and I were engaged. We weren't even married yet. We didn't have kids. We didn't even think about that yet. But I remember as a student pastor watching a 14-year-old kid tell his mom, Mom, shut up. I don't want to do my homework. Dead serious. And as a 22-year-old, I go, you know what? I don't have any kids. But I got a pretty good idea. That's not a long-term solution. To dishonor your parents hurts you. It, it, It messes up your parents in the Lord. So when you honor your mom and dad, when you do what they tell you to do, you're actually communicating what you think about God. So when you honor your parents, when you obey them, God sees you honoring Him. Earlier, a member of a family, student, you have a role to play. Do your thing. Do what God's called you to do. What does He say? He says, obey your parents in the Lord. So, when you honor your mom and dad, when you do what they tell you to do, you're actually communicating what you think about God. So, when you honor your parents, when you obey them, God sees you honoring Him. The flip side of that coin is also true. When you dishonor, disobey, disrespect your parents, you disrespect God because God gave you those parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. So when you honor your mom and dad, when you do what they tell you to do, you're actually communicating what you think about God. So when you honor your parents, when you obey them, God sees you honoring Him. The flip side of that coin is also true. When you dishonor, disobey, disrespect your parents, you disrespect God because God gave you those parents. Even if you're adopted, in His sovereignty, you are in the home that you're in. He's allowed you to be there. So, so when you honor your parents, when you obey them, God sees you honoring Him. The flip side of that coin is also true. When you dishonor, disobey, disrespect your parents, you disrespect God. Because God gave you those parents. Even if you're adopted... In his sovereignty, you are in the home that you're in. He's allowed you to be there. So do your thing. Husbands and wives, husbands, love your wives. We'll talk about that some more throughout the series. Wives, respect, honor your husbands. Well, but Mac, you don't know who I'm married to, bro. Listen, find something in that man and honor him. Feed the fire. Julie used to be a first-grade teacher. And she was she was taught in college, in her education and special education degree, that positive reinforcement works much better than negative reinforcement. When you praise somebody for doing something, they're more likely to do it again than if you criticize them for not doing something. And so a lot of times, Julie had one little boy in her classroom, and Julie was kind of drawn to problem kids. <laughs> but she had this one little guy in a classroom that, that always was kind of creating a problem. So she, was really, she would really struggle to find something to compliment him on, to, to, to praise him about. And one day she came home and I said, well, how did it go with you know, little Timmy? She said, you won't believe what I said to him today. I said, what? She said, I, I looked him in the eye and I was dead serious. when I said, Timmy, you are breathing so well today. <laughs> Wives, you may need to do something like that with your husband. (laughs) Honey, you are breathing so well. Thank you for breathing like you do and helping our house with the oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange. It's unbelievable how you work around here. Do your thing. You've got a role to play in your family. I've got a role to play in mine. Do your thing. And then number three, this is for the parents in the house. Do the training thing. Do the training thing. Ephesians 6 continues. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is a command from God for fathers and mothers. Our job is to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, which means we got to know what that is. You can't teach somebody what you don't know. So your own personal faith has to fuel every part of your marriage, every part of your parenting. But your job as a parent is to train your kids to bring them up. And, and a lot of times... We parent reacting to our past. We say, well, my mom and dad were so harsh to me, or they made us go to church all the time, and I didn't get anything out of it. I don't want to do that to my kids. I understand that. But that was your issue. That's not your kid's issue. That's your deal. As a parent, don't make your junk your kid's junk. Don't make your kid's junk. You're junk. You have to understand your role as a parent is to do the training thing. You've got to bring them up. Let them be a part of the God thing in this world so that their lives work best. Those are just kind of some, some pillars for what needs to go into your vision as a family. Now, very quickly, let me show you how to craft a vision statement. I'm just going to tell you three things to help crafting a vision statement. Number one, make it rememberable, not memorable. What? Make it rememberable, but not memorable. A lot of people will will work too long on a vision statement. You'll sit down around the family table and you'll think, okay, we're going to craft a vision statement. King James, we need some King James English in there. Keep us the law. That should be in, no, 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 no. A vision statement for it to be really effective, to be that true north, you've got to be able to remember it. As your kids grow up, they need to be able to remember it. Don't try to make it memorable that it ought to be etched in stone in Washington, D.C. Honey, get some marble. This is going to be Memorable. That's awesome, but nobody will be able to remember it. So make it rememberable, not memorable. Number two, make it identity-driven, not behavior-driven. Make the vision identity-driven, not behavior-driven. Meaning, it needs to flow out of who we are as a family. If all we do is focus on behavior then we're going to have little robots and automatons who just like to do what they think we want them to do, and then when they get to college, they will go nuts. But if you teach your kids who they are in God's economy, if you help them discover their identity, the behavior issues will take care of itself with a lot of work. When you see your kids lie, when you see your kids mess up, You speak to them more out of their identity than their behavior, and you say, you know what, that's not who you are. That's not going to help your life. I, I know you're mad right now, but the fact that you just told me to shut up means, first of all, that your life's in jeopardy. And second of all, that's not who God made you to be. You weren't created to act like that. We're not supposed to act like that as a family and we're not going to. See how as a parent when you've got that vision and you've got that true north, then all of a sudden you don't freak out. My kid's messing up. The world's going to think I'm a horrible parent. Everybody in Target knows that there's a tantrum on aisle 3. <laughs> how many of you have ever left a grocery store with a screaming toddler? Man, I'm telling you, if you you haven't lived until you've done that, you haven't really lived until you've had to call security. Especially if you've got a strong-willed child. I've heard, read books about strong-willed children. But it always has to be about the identity. Who are you in God's mind, in God's heart? And then third, make it exceptional, not conventional. Your family's vision statement needs to be exceptional, not conventional. Because conventional wisdom doesn't work. Normal is overrated. Normal is 51% of marriages ending in divorce. Normal is stressed out, overly medicated kids. Normal are stressed out, overly scheduled and calendared families. How's normal working out? God has called us to a higher plane. Make your vision exceptional. Teach your children. Equip your kids to be okay being the only one. Well, they're going to be left out. You hope and pray. Yeah, they're going to be left out sometimes. And they're going to be just fine if you equip them, if you train them. You're going to be left out. You're going to look at parents and say, you know what? We are not doing the travel cheer thing in second grade. What? They're never going to be a cheerleader in high school, and then they'll never get a scholarship, and they'll never have a boyfriend, and they're never going to get married, and then they're going to live in your house, all that. You have to do cheerleading in second grade. We're not going to. We're, We're not going to do that. We're going to be unconventional. We want our family, God's called our family to be exceptional. Because normal is overrated. Let me tell you the end game of a vision. The end game of a vision for your family. The end game of a vision for your life. Philippians chapter 4 do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds and your kids' hearts and your kids' minds in Christ Jesus. True north, that vision that God's given you, That you have prayed about, that you've talked about, that you've thought about. That vision from God is the peace of God. The peace that passes all understanding. The peace beyond the chaos, beyond the clutter, beyond the calendar. That peace which guards your hearts and your minds. Remember, the attacks from outside are a given. We know those are going to happen. But the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And it's in the family and through the family that God wants that reality to sink in. It's in the family that we're to (coughs) cultivate and incubate that reality so that our kids grow up to leave home. In the peace of God that guards their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me for just a second? In this moment, the family is a holy thing, the family is a sacred thing. And it's through the family that God communicates relationship, love, authority, work, joy. And that's why God uses the family. as a picture to invite us into a relationship with him. If you're here today and you have never stepped into that relationship or maybe you're downtown at Brazos Hall this morning and that relationship with God has been a concept. It's been an idea kind of out in the ether a little bit. As a church, we want you to know right now that that doesn't have to remain a concept. It can become a reality. A reality in your life. A reality where you respond to God's grace, confess your sin, claim His forgiveness, and begin to live in the family of faith, in a relationship with God. If you're here today and you'd like to take that step for the first time, then I want to just invite you to pray right now, just right where you are, just talking to God, say silently, God, I need you. I need to be a part of your family. I confess my sin. And I claim your forgiveness once and for all. In Jesus name. With every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment more, if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, would you just raise your hand? If you would just raise it up over your head for just a second because this is the most important moment in your life and it's a moment that needs to be marked that deserves to be marked and as a church we want to be that family of faith for you so we want to just pass something down the road to you right now that's there for you if you'll just take that that little box and you'll open it up there's a card there on top there's some other things in there for you to read later there's a bible that's yours to take but that card is just a way that we begin the process of connecting into the life of the family of faith and so I'd ask you if you would just take it and fill it out if you'll just fill that card out right now and allow us the privilege of helping Of coming alongside. Because for us as a church family, there's nothing more important than that moment in your life that just happened. And so as a church, we want to celebrate that with you. We want to put our hands together and tell you, with everything that we've got, welcome home. Welcome home and welcome to the family of faith.